and information. This is Radio 3. Morning and a very warm welcome to Money Talk on Radio 3. The time's 8.03 in Hong Kong on Thursday the 21st of July. This is Peter Lewis with the day's business headlines. Premier Li Keqiang said China will focus its efforts on stabilising employment and consumer prices, adding that it was acceptable to face a slower rate of economic growth. He said we won't resort to super-large stimulus or excessive money printing to accomplish a high growth target. Chinese banks left unchanged their key lending rates at a monthly rate-setting decision yesterday. The People's Bank of China said the one-year loan prime rate was maintained at 3.7% and the five-year LPR, which is linked to mortgages, stays at 4.45%, reflecting the PBOC's move last week to leave its medium-term lending facility unchanged. The unprecedented mortgage revolt in China is spreading across the mainland. Buyers in at least 300 real estate projects in more than 90 cities are now threatening to stop servicing their mortgages on homes abandoned by developers. Some suppliers to Chinese real estate developers are now also refusing to repay bank loans because of unpaid bills owed to them. Macau said it will relax pandemic restrictions from Saturday as its latest COVID-19 outbreak eases. Authorities in the SAR said from this weekend, non-essential commercial and industrial businesses can resume operations on a limited scale as long as they comply with anti-infection measures. And the European Commission has asked EU countries to cut their gas use by 15% starting next month after Russia's Vladimir Putin warned of reduced supplies to the continent, the 15% target will become mandatory if Russia halts supplies. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by personal wealth advisor Enzio von Faul and Le Shah, Asia Chief Economist at BBVA. Speaking about how the labour market trends in Hong Kong are improving is Jeffrey Yao, co-founder and CEO of MoveUp. And don't forget to get in contact with any questions or comments. You do that by texting 6393 5925, emailing Talk at rthk.hk, post on our Facebook page Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3 or tweet us at Money Talk Radio 3. Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. On Wall Street overnight, US stocks were firmer after shaking off pessimism in Europe, which led to the dollar strengthening. The S&P 500 rose 0.6% to 3,960. The Dow added 48 points, or 0.2%, to 31,875. The Nasdaq Composite Index outperformed, boosted by tech stocks, jumping 1.6% to 11,898. The Nasdaq was helped by shares of Netflix, which rose 7.4% after it reported that subscriber numbers fell less than forecast during the second quarter. All three indices rose for the second consecutive session, taking them to their highest levels since early June. And after the close, electric vehicle maker Tesla posted its first sequential decline in quarterly profits in more than a year as it recovers from an extended shutdown at its Shanghai assembly plant. Tesla also said it has sold 75% of the Bitcoin it had purchased, little more than a year after investing in the digital currency. Shares of Tesla were up 1% in after-hours trading. 
European stocks were hit by a trio of concerns, including the collapse of the Italian coalition government, reduced gas supplies from Russia, and Moscow threatening to expand the war in Ukraine. And in addition, the European Central Bank meets later today and could raise interest rates by as much as 50 basis points. The pan-European stock 600 index fell 0.2%. The UK's FTSE 100 dropped 0.4%. Hong Kong stocks moved higher yesterday following a sharp rally on Wall Street the night before. The Hang Seng Index climbed 229 points, or 1.1%, to 20,890. The Tech Index rallied 1.6%, and the Shanghai Composite that added 0.8% to 3,305. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil settled 0.4% lower after three straight days of gains, it's $106.61 a barrel right now, and gold fell 1% to $1,696 an ounce. The US 10-year Treasury bond yield was unchanged at 3.03%, and the US dollar rebounded following three days of weakness. The euro right now trading just below $1.02 ahead of that ECB meeting. The Japanese yen is at 138.39. Sterling is worth $1.19 and three quarter cents and nine Hong Kong dollars and 40 cents. The Chinese yuan, that's at 6.77 and a half against the dollar in offshore markets. And Bitcoin is trading at $23.200 and uh, sorry, 23,200, I should say. And across Asia-Pacific markets right now, not a lot of movement shortly after the open. In Australia, the SX200 is unchanged. Nikkei 225 in Japan, down about 0.1%. Cosby in South Korea is moving up. It's gained about 0.4%. And futures markets pointing to a decline of about 130 points for the Hang Seng at the open this morning. Let's go over to our Queensway studio, meet our guests. We have our regular Thursday morning commentator with us, personal wealth advisor, Enzio von Fahl. Morning, Enzio. Good morning, Peter. And also joining us, Lashar, who is Asia Chief Economist at BBVA. Morning to you, Shark. Morning, Peter. Let me get your comments, first of all, on President Li Keqiang's comments on uh, economic growth. He said China's going to focus its efforts on stabilising employment and consumer prices. He said it was acceptable to face a slower rate of economic growth and he said we won't resort to super large stimulus or excessive money printing to achieve a high growth target. He said that will draw down uh, overdraw in the future. He was speaking to global business leaders at the World Economic Forum. Enzio, what are your thoughts? Well, I think he's being consistent in, in his message that he wants to get the economy going. But I also sense a little bit of a tug of war between him and President Xi because President Xi is adamant about his COVID policy, which I kind of get. And Li, I also get, is adamant about his economic policy. So, but when he says it's, it's going to be sort of a little bit slower, well, I mean, for heaven's sakes, it was the 0.4% increase was the second worst quarterly growth rate in 30 years. So let's not pretty it up too much. Um, and there are growth engines, the good, the bad, and the ugly. The good engines are, according to Michael Pettis, things like domestic innovation. Bad engines, which we're seeing a lot of, is cheap money. And the ugly engines clearly are more domestic sort of 
infrastructure and, and building of buildings. I mean, how many of these things do you really need? So I'm that, afraid that that bad engine. This seems to be the one they're focusing on, though, isn't it? Exactly. That more money that's to infrastructure. Projects. Quite yes. That that's always sort of that that thing that they pull out of the hat to. Okay, I mean, it 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 gets employment going, but as we'll see later in the show, with increased factory output going into inventories, it has just as much of a bloating effect. It does not help the actual economy itself, in my mind. Yes, I think um, uh, in the first half of the year, the China only get a growth rate like two point five percent. So mm. if you they want to really meet this five point five percent target for the whole year, that means in the second half of the year they need to maintain growth rate above eight percent. I think uh, that's almost impossible, right? Unless you put a lot of the money there and to overstimulate the economy. Uh, I agree with Lenzio because uh, if you look at uh, uh, this growth. Engines and now they are too rely on this uh, infrastructure, yes. rely on this uh, uh, super uh, ultra uh, the, the liquidity injections. Uh, uh, but uh, on one thing, I think they they can still think about how to directly stimulate this uh, household sector. For example, like in Hong Kong, they can directly distribute some money to the household sector. I think uh, many people they also have the similar ideas. Uh, even they just distribute one thousand. Uh, RMB to this uh, uh, one family that could help a lot to stimulate the economy. Uh, I, I, I am a little bit surprised why they don't want to do that one. Uh, but uh, I think compared to this uh, infrastructure investment, that's a more efficient way to, mm. to wrap up the, Agreed, the economy. Yeah. There seems to be mixed messages coming from the, the Chinese government, doesn't there? In, in this speech, uh, Premier Li, Li seems to be accepting that uh, we're not going to meet the 5.5% growth target. And it's also saying that's okay. Um, you know, it, it's not the end of the world. Whereas President Xi um, is really committing himself to actually achieving this 5.5% growth target. So it sort of means there's going to be mixed policy messages, doesn't it? Uh, I don't think so, because uh, if you notice uh, uh, President Xi's uh, speech, that's before they announced this uh, second quarter GDP figure. That's a uh, second quarter oh, GDP good. point. Four percent. That's a very, very low one. So, as I said, if given such a outturn of the, the first half of the uh, year, so it is almost impossible to achieve this five point five percent growth target. I think uh, now maybe President Xi already changed his ideas. Uh, he will. Uh, I think he will agree with uh, Premier Li to be more pragmatic about these figures. Mm. And so the problem is the external environment is not very good for China right Quite. now, is it? Uh, the, you know, the people are talking about a global recession. Yes. Uh, trade is slowing down. And also China's domestic demand yeah. uh, has slowed quite considerably as well. So what does it do to deal with that? Well, again, I think it's only this, this, this good stuff, this domestic innovation, and perhaps also what Shark was saying about the just had some cash handouts to at least get the get this engine going. But I just want to caution our listeners that when they hear of these glowing factory output figures going up, up, and uh, up, up, and you know beyond bath, bed, and beyond kind of thing, um, that um, I got that order wrong, obviously. But um, what I mean by that is that they have to, you have to really be very careful about getting the domestic demand going, and it's not going to happen just by building more buildings and, and building more streets and, and this kind of stuff. So I think it's this if factory output is going to go into increased inventories. 
-hmm. And that's, again, going to just bloat the GDP figures. So then some fund managers can go around saying, look, the the GDP figures are up. Well, yeah, but they're all up for the wrong reasons. But that always comes back down again, doesn't it, when you draw on those inventories? So it's a sort of zero-sum game. Absolutely. It depends, of course, on the speed. Yeah. I also worry about, you you say, the good type of growth through innovation, but the, the signs aren't great there either, are they? Because... China's just crushed uh, its biggest technology companies and, and shrouded them in regulation and, and, the, and the private ones are struggling. So where's this innovation going to come from? Yeah, I think the, that's a big question. Good point, yes. Yeah, it's a very good question, Peter. What do you think? Yeah, I think the, for these innovation things, uh, of course, for these uh, high-tech sectors, uh, they need to uh, – now they, I think they focus more on this – we can see the, the hard-tech hard rather than the before they focus on the soft-tech, this uh, platform of this online, uh, online sales, something like that. Now they focus on this uh, 5G, on this uh, high-end um, uh, manufacturing products. Uh, uh, but I, I think, the, of course, uh, you are right. Uh, they should allow the market to do more things. If uh, mm-hmm. people, they really love this uh, soft-tech, uh, they, they want to uh, consume online so why don't you just uh, have some uh, necessary regulation and this allow this uh, sector to grow up now the unprecedented mortgage revolt in china is spreading across the mainland buyers in at least 300 real estate projects in more than 90 cities are now threatening to stop servicing their mortgages on homes abandoned by developers and what's more, some suppliers to Chinese real estate developers are now also refusing to repay bank loans because of unpaid bills owed to them by the developers. Um, how concerned are you by this, Enzio and Shah? Very. Well, if I can just sort of interrupt. I'm quite concerned, although just to put it in perspective, only 18% of all home buyers actually have mortgages. Most buyers borrow money from their extended family who all co-invest in, in property. So it's not quite as like in the US or elsewhere. Um, but I do think it's a big problem because these this this disaster at this Hernan Bank where, they, where these poor depositors, these, these suckers put $4,400 billion into deposit and it's, it's all been... Well, they weren't really suckers, to be fair. You, you normally think if you put your money into the bank, it ought to be safe. You're going to get it back. Ah, a, a little caveat emptor. Um, your money is not safe at the bank because the bank lends the money out, it, but mm. it keeps it. So if you have some free advice, if you have the bank being your custodian, it's safe, but not if you're lending the bank the, the bank the money itself. But uh, your point is taken. But even if um, you know, even if a lot of people don't get mortgages, the problem is, isn't it, that seventy percent of the country's household yes. wealth is in property. So when these families pull together to buy property, they all suffer together um, when the market goes down as it has done now. Yeah, I think the, this is a very important uh, question because uh, one of the reasons why we have seen the problem in the property sector is uh, now we have seen this uh, um, devaluation of the housing price right yes. in China. So that's why many home buyers, they don't want to wait for more because mm. they, maybe they already paid the money, they are waiting for their project completion, but now they see the uh, market price has been declining all the way. So mm. that's why they 
give such a strong reaction because in the past、uh, I think they also have such a kind of things, but we never have seen such a widespread、uh, refuse to to what、well, we can see this um the, this、uh, this mortgage boycott. Yes. Right. Yeah. Before we have similar thing, but in the past、uh, the housing prices is on the rise, so these、uh, yes, home buyers、quite. they don't mind <laughs> to wait longer. But and、uh, this time is quite different. But I also think greed got in the way, Shark, which is just simply put that they decided to to go and. And buy off plan, way way ahead of the the building and construction because the prices were going up. So that was greed, and greed is a very bad counselor. Well, that's also the way the system works, though, isn't it? On the mainland, the developers.、Um, Need to get the money before the the house is completed, so they sell them、uh, before they're completed, and people get their mortgages、um, when they buy them, not when they take ownership, or not when they can move into the house. It's sort of part of the system, isn't it? Yeah, I think that that's the part of the system that, unfortunately,、uh, when you have this kind of the、uh, policy or system, so you must have some、uh, coordination policy. For example, how you are going to monitor all these、uh, pre-sale funds、uh, obtained by the developers. You must find ways to make sure this money is in their bank. So <laughs> you, when something happened, you know where you get the money. But unfortunately,、uh, as far as I know, in many places. This、uh, policy haven't been、uh, restrictly implemented, so that means now when they go to the developer, they find that、uh, many of the money already be used. But once again, this hasn't all happened by accident, has it? It is a result of deliberate government policy. The three red lines around developers, which means、uh, a lot of developers couldn't finish the apartments and couldn't go and bid for new land, and also President Xi himself wanted to crack down on speculation. He said, didn't he? Famously, houses are for living in.、Um, this has been caused by the government. So, what has the government got to do to fix it? I、uh, I don't think that they intentionally to do this one. Not intentionally, Maybe, but it was a、yeah. result of their policy. Yeah, exactly. I agree with this one because that's a result of the previous climb down on this、uh, property sector. Ah,、uh, when they fix the the existing problem, I think uh, definitely this. Ah,、uh, uh, at the end of the day, it means who's going to pay the bill. Because we have the、uh, banks, we have these、uh, developers, we have this uh, uh, local government, central government, and then we have this、uh, maybe several trillion RMB、uh, fund gap.、Mm. So eventually, you need to find people to、uh, take responsibility for that one. So that means、uh, some people need to pay. But for the moment, I think uh, so. Uh, who who pays? Who takes responsibility? Yeah, it depends on the negotiation.、Uh, definitely the. That's a developer problem, but unfortunately, they don't have money to pay,、mm-hmm. right?、Uh, now, banks, I think they can do something. Now they already apply some regulatory forbearance to allow some home buyers to to late pay their mortgage,、um, and the local government and the central government they need to do something. They need to pay part of the money. So that's why I think these things is not going to fix uh, uh, immediately. I think they need they- to strengthen the legal system. Frankly, because as long as the banks know they can get away with it, and the collusion between the provinces、mm-hmm. and the banks can get away with it, this, these things are just going to come back time and time again. It's like it's about as effective as watering plastic plants <laughs> with water. With water, that, that, con- that collusion is what caused the problem in Henan, isn't it? With the, yes, quite the four、uh, basically insolvent banks, and it, the, the, the banks were recommended by the regulator, not by other banks, but、mm. by the regulator. 
So then um, this is really now the solution that the government is proposing um, is in effect extending the crisis from the property sector to the, the financial sector, isn't it? To the banks, basically. Uh, I think that generally the, the Chinese banking sector is okay, although they have a huge exposure to uh, these uh, property sectors. Uh, but uh, if you look at uh, their capital uh, adequacy, if you look at their liquidity, and also they will get uh, support from the government. So uh, personally, I, I still have confidence in Chinese uh, financial sector. I think, the, uh, of course, uh, this uh, property sector, they pose some systemic risk uh, to the entire economy. Uh, but I think that, that with the good uh, policy implemented, uh, they can contain this kind of the risk. But it takes, uh, it will take several years uh, for Chinese, uh, uh, for, for Chinese economy to observe this uh, consequence. I'm just a little bit worried about the effects on the one, because if the, if the foreigner gets itchy about the banking system in China, he or she will walk with their money, will, will mm. pull out even more. That depresses the one. That then fans imported inflation, exactly what the government doesn't want. Okay, well, thank you for your thoughts. You have personal wealth advisor Enzio von Fowl and Lashar, Asia Chief Economist at BBVA. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Wait, 24. I'm joined now in the studio by Jeffrey Yao, who is co-founder and CEO of MoveUp. Morning, Jeffrey. Hey, morning. Now, we had some good employment data out, didn't we, earlier this week, which showed the unemployment rate and the underemployment rate uh, coming down. Are you, are you seeing the same sort of trends in, in the work you're doing? Oh, for sure. I mean, uh, if you just look at the streets, if you look at the malls, shopping malls, everyone's coming out to eat, to uh, shop. Uh, we focus more on frontline, so meaning retail, F&B, um, property management, logistics, the kind. And so, yeah, definitely, like, we see a sharp V-shaped rebound um, of the demand in labor since actually mid-March and all the way until now. So does that mean a lot of the people who were laid off, they're now starting to get their jobs back or, or moving into new jobs? Definitely. I think uh, the trend actually started last year, 2021, when... Uh, during the fourth wave, I think some people got laid off and, and, and all that. But then very quickly, I think for the pretty much the whole of 2021, labor uh, get uh, absorbed into the market mm. as the demand for labor continued to go up all the way until the year end. Then fifth wave came. Um, yes, some people got laid off um, and the demand became very weak. But then after a few months, uh, from January to mid-March, uh, when things start to improve in mid-March, and uh, yeah, people then start to get the job back. It's, it's, it's very responsive. The frontline mm. market, it's super responsive. So whenever there is a, a social distancing rules, mm. it just plummets the demand for labor. And as soon as, it, as soon as there's news that it's coming, becoming better, it will shoot up. It's still an uncertain environment, isn't it? Because we don't know what's going to happen mm. with the pandemic, whether there's going to be renewed restrictions. Do you think businesses now um, have found a way to deal uh, with that uncertainty and, and learn how to survive in that uncertainty? The frontline customers, clients that we have, actually, they are mostly complaining that they are short of labor right now uh, because the business is good. Uh, they want to make the money back, you know, the, the lost money. And so they, they want to hire more people. And that made them actually very eager. And they're actually looking at, you know, are they competitive enough in terms mm -hmm. of the salary, in terms of the benefits that they're paying? So they're, 
they're actually dealing with, I think, the shortage of labor right now. And of course, you know, with inflation, with、uh, inflation, I guess in the UK and the US, you know, becoming a four-decade high,、um, that's going to have a pressure on, on on wage around the world, and that wage inflation, I think, is going to be another problem. I think the the I guess the employers are going to be faced with.、Right、and is、now. that happening here in Hong Kong? Salaries going up. It it is for the front line, the full time. From our data, the the median of the starting salary、uh, for the front line people actually has gone up seven percent this year. So、mm. from about fourteen thousand to fifteen thousand, and、uh, part time has been relatively steady, about fifty five dollars as the median for the starting. But are, are employees looking for other things now as well as salaries? It's not just salaries anymore, is it? That they're interested in. They're interested in.、Um, For example, can they work for home sometimes?、Uh, what sort of company? What sort of social benefits they offer? Are those becoming more important? Yeah,、uh, for sure. I think for the frontline workers,、uh, firstly, actually, they they have to be in a certain location to perform their work. So in a shop, in a restaurant, you know, a delivery guy. So they they probably don't have the luxury of a lot of people working from home.、Uh, but so what they look at is actually they would like to work closer to home. Mm. Right, so if they don't have to travel too far, say an hour, the hourly rate is you know could be fifty dollars, sixty dollars. They want to be, they don't want to be spending uh, uh, you know an hour and a half traveling.、Mm. So they will want to work closer from home. And then actually the money is still money, and so they will still definitely look at the rates. And that's what we found out from our survey, from our data. You know, the money is definitely important. And then they will look at benefits. And some of them actually look at you know who they work with. You know, do they get along with people in the、mm-hmm. workplace, and 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 all that. But, so, so what、yeah. would you suggest to people who are looking for a job? What sort of tips would you give for how to find the right employer? Right now, I think it's pretty much a、uh, at this moment, okay, job seekers market.、Mm. So they can,、uh, you know, I would encourage the job seekers you know, who are in the front line. They will just go out and try different uh, places uh, if to find that place that they like. I mean, not to jump around too much, but basically they need to figure out: Hey, is this the right industry for them? It is. Is this the、uh, uh, right place for them? And so, then there are lots of opportunities out there. And what about for graduates? We're hearing all sorts of、uh, reports that there's a real graduate drain going on in Hong Kong. That graduates are moving overseas、uh, for looking for jobs there. Are you seeing that that trend? Not just graduates, actually. I mean, personally, we have a colleague who's actually left for the UK, a senior、uh, programmer, and、uh, that's also what I'm hearing from some of the other startup owners. They're finding it difficult to find.、Uh, Even a business development person, right? The salary、mm. has continued to go up. They made an offer, you know, in the three offers in the past one month, and they all got rejected.、Um, so that's a problem、down. for Hong Kong, isn't it? Because we need for, that type of talent. Yeah, for the time being, yes.、Uh, but we just have to see, I guess, you know, as things move around, you know, is that going to? I don't expect this to be a permanent situation. Uh, for example, like for us, we've figured out a way to actually we continue to work with、uh, the colleague who left for the UK because you know we just figured that、uh, we can work remote. So there are、mm. other ways to actually、mm-hmm. deal with the problem. I mean, this is the situation we just have to deal with it. And, and what do you do at Move Up? Tell me a bit about Move Up. Sure. 
we are a job platform for frontline uh, workers. So we focus on so retail. frontline workers. They're the biggest part of basically the employment markets, aren't they? In Hong for Kong? sure, yeah. So there's close to four million uh, labor mm. force in Hong Kong. Actually, more than half of them we would classify as frontline. And so it's a huge, huge market, and it's uh, uh, it's actually not very. Uh, um, you know, people don't really focus on this market, but there's a lot of potentials because of the turnover, because of simply the need for, for labor force. And why do employers use you? They find that we work because mm-hmm. there's just a huge traffic in, in what we, uh, in our website and also our apps. Um, and also we are actually very focused on mobile recruiting because all, a lot of the employers, they are in the shops and the restaurants, so they use their mobile phone. So we focus on that as well. Okay. Well, Jeffrey, thank you very much for coming in this morning. That's Jeffrey Yao, co-founder and the CEO of MoveUp. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Around Asia-Pacific markets, still not an awful lot of movements uh, half an hour or so after the open. In Australia, the ASX 200 still flat. The Nikkei 225 in Japan down 0.1%. In South Korea, uh, the Cosby is up about a third of a percent. Hang Seng here in Hong Kong looks set to open about 130 points lower in just under an hour's time. Thank you very much for listening. We'll be back tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. Coming up after the news, back chats with Janice Wong and Jenny Lam. The weather forecast can be fine. Very hot once again. Maximum temperature of about 35 degrees. That very hot weather warning already in force. And the weather will be persistently very hot and fine for the rest of this week and into midweek next week. Temperature right now is 30 degrees, 79% relative humidity. 8.31 and a half. Here's Andy Shrosky with a half-hour news. Thank you, Peter. Health officials reported 3,805 new COVID infections yesterday, 180 of them imported. There are 150 new admissions to public hospitals, taking the total number being treated to more than 1,200. There was also one more COVID-related death. The Center for Health Protections, Dr. Chuang Sukwan, said that the same quarantine isolation rules now apply with regard to all local infections, regardless of different subvariants. This means people can quarantine at home if conditions allow. For the subvariant, we have analyzed the cases in Hong Kong and also we, we looked at the World Health Organization also looked that there's no severity signal among BA.5, which is regarded as the most transmissible subvariant among all the Omicron variant. We have not observed any increase in severity among those patients suffering from it. A motorbike passenger has died after a car crash in Nautau Kok. The collision, which also involved a truck and a light goods van, took place around noon yesterday on Quintong Road near Ting On Street. The 54-year-old woman was knocked unconscious and she was certified dead at hospital. The 43-year-old truck driver has been arrested on suspicion of dangerous driving causing death. Overseas now, President Biden has unveiled new executive steps to address climate change, which he described as an existential threat to the nation and the world. $2.3 billion will go to expanding flood control, shoring up utilities, retrofitting buildings, and helping low-income families pay for heating and cooling costs. Mr. Biden said there was an urgent need to act. As president, I have a responsibility to act with urgency and resolve when our nation faces clear and present danger. And that's what climate change is about. It is literally, not figuratively, a clear and present danger. The health of our citizens and our communities is literally at stake. Mr. Biden has been under pressure to declare a climate emergency, which would release funds to ramp up production of a wide range of renewable energy products and systems. 
The contest to become Britain's next prime minister has been narrowed to two candidates, the former Chancellor of the Exchequer Rishi Sunak and the Foreign Secretary Liz Truss. They squeezed out Penny Morton in the last of a string of votes by fellow Conservative MPs. The final choice now goes to party members. Here's the BBC's Rob Watson. It's important to remember that both of them call themselves Thatcherites. One talks about the kind of rancor of the campaign, but both of them ideologically would say they're on the same page in terms of a, a smaller state and lower taxes. The difference between them is when you should start doing that. Rishi Sunak takes the view that you should balance the books first, so that's going to be the, the dispute between them. But I don't think anyone should be on the, in any doubt. These people are, are both on the right of the party. They're both these days enthusiastic Brexiteers. They're anti-EU. The news from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Janice Wong and my co-host today is Jenny Lam.